right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Hey guys, welcome back to the Team Never Quit Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, watching, most importantly, subscribing. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're going to be releasing more videos every single week. And if you're not already, make sure you follow us on social media to see what we've got going on. That being said, we've got a question, guys, from one of our Patreon members. Christopher Helms asks, who would win in an arm wrestling match with Marcus and Morgan? Which arm? That's Yeah, I'm right-handed. He's left. Oh, I think... Oh, I feel like we might have talked about this before. I've, I've made that perfectly clear many, many times. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we're, we're the opposite of each other. So just, oh, it's just not That's possible. That's why we never compete, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a bummer. Who would win out of me and one of you guys? Wait, who's, wait, who's left? Who's... I am. I'm a lefty. You're the righty. Yeah. I'll crush your ass through that wall, son. Oh. Look at that second. Okay. Pecans right there on that farm. Right, you see that? So since we're going to do more videos on YouTube... <laughs> Me and Marcus yeah. oh, will hey, make you sure to release a video. Hey, we'll get a table. Hey, you were talking about wanting to work yeah. out earlier? <laughs> yeah. Then we should put uh, over the top on the TV. And dude, dude, dude. Get a uh, tank. The thing, the whole thing. Yeah. The thing. And All we right. could film it. The thing. Let's do it. There's That's a, a kick-ass arm wrestling documentary that my brother made me watch called Pulling John. And I watched it Have over and over it? again. Like, I started no, training but, for arm wrestling. Okay, so like, Pops is like the ultimate of ultimate runners, you know? Old man, still getting... The longest standing... The guy who, who like, when you talk about the sport, they're like, oh, that guy. The longest to... standing champion of any sport or game in the history of sport or game is in arm wrestling. And a guy named John Brzezink. He's an American guy. John Brzezink. All right. Call him the Goliath killer. He's built, built like you. But, I mean, obviously his arms are... But Bullshit, he's built like real... me. Don't give him the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, hey, you'll love it. That's what... Like, that's your must watch. Yeah. And then watch. Start off that one. It's watch on, over it's on the Netflix. top with Stallone. I want to look like Quagmire on Family Guy. This is that Great, one dude. big I follow bicep. I, yeah. I follow <laughs> arm wrestling arm religiously right now. I've it's been a great. big arm wrestling yeah. fan forever. I, yeah. Ever since he made me watch that, that documentary, Pulling John. All right. You Pulling, guys, it's a badass documentary, dude. Be, yeah, on, the, be on the lookout because YouTube, it's coming at you. We're going to do an arm wrestling, arm wrestling contest. Andrew. That's a great ad. Andrew. We're going to hype it up like a fight. It's going to be, we're going to have, have a poster and everything. It is a fight. Don't tell <laughs> yeah. anybody else. Anything else. This is just an arm wrestling deal. Hey, guys, if you're not a member of our Patreon, we got some cool stuff going on over there. You get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes footage. You can be the first one to get access to our videos, bonus content, all of that stuff. Join us at Patreon. You guys ready for today's guest? Because today we're joined by Ultra Runner, triathlete Mike Rouse, who has run 261 marathons, 3450Ks, 78 50 milers, 41 24 hour runs, 12 Ironmans, and six Ultraman World Champions. He's seen some miles in his Mark's history. Tree. <laughs> yeah, and is quite the never quit story. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with yeah. the boys. Pops. Hey, this is going to be so much fun. I, when, it, when, I, when I've heard about this, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. Wish, I wish you could have come down here. Damn it. This has been well, the one they have inside the house. We'll do it again, though. Let's do it again. I can do this all day long, uh, every day. Next, next. I got no other life besides talking and running. How old are you now, Pop? Sixty-seven. 67. Sixty-eight a month. Sixty-eight. So you're sixty. And and just so everybody knows, he runs his age in miles every birthday, and has since I've known him. As well as just recently for the extortion anniversary, ran thirty-one miles a day for thirty-one days straight, and I check in with him. And it was probably mid mid month. He was like, "I'm stronger than I've ever been." <laughs> Golly, I feel like an underachiever. I'm the only underachiever in the group. I'm the, I'm the only non runner. <laughs> I never say I hate running because I know how much you love it. And what, I remember saying that in front of you one time. Yeah, because you were like, "Hey, you're gonna go do the deal." I was like, "Pops, I hate I hate running." <laughs> the look on your face was like. You're like, well, I'll fix that. And I was like, I don't think so, because I, I just... Well, I, 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 I thought you were a man. I thought I, you could do exactly it. Exactly. That's, exactly that's, 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 that's why we love him. Yeah, yeah. That's why we love him, because he ain't scared to call anybody out. I was like, hell, I thought I was a man, because I didn't run. 
And then, no, so no, that's no, that no. moral conundrum. Yep. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. You look I'm great. I'm feeling good. It's been a, it's been a weird year, but a great year in some respects. That's got true. A lot, got a lot of business done in spite of COVID, but uh, you got anything big uh, on the horizon? Man, like everybody. You being a coach for everybody getting outside. And in yeah. the beginning was the quarantine, but out there you can run. I mean, I walked into the academy the other day and all the bikes, there was no bicycles on the wall. It's like everybody's going back outdoors, getting outside of the buildings. Wow. The doctors are even rotating back to being family, family practice. Like I'm going, I'll come to the family home to practice my medicine kind of thing. So you got anything big coming up, Pop? You can drive a truck all day long across that ranch though, Marcus. Yeah. See, I've, se- I've seen you in your videos. All right, look, hey, I've bought myself. You know, that, that's we'll, we can talk about that later. That yeah, I did do that. Matter of fact, I put more miles on that truck uh, out there than I had on it the whole time we lived back home. It looks like it. Wow, as well. It does. <laughs> yeah, I rode it hard. Th- those were good videos, though. Those were good, uh, good little spots. I, I, I literally drove that circle of that ranch. I put twenty something thousand miles on that truck, just tilling <laughs> around because it was rigged for any anything I needed to kill, pull out, or whatever. I threw all the brakes off, all the wiring got ripped out, got swept away in the river. It was a good time. Tanner almost died. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> oh yeah, it was a good time. So why don't you give us a little bit of background, kind of what like what inspired you to start running as much as you've run? Well, it's a long story, but my actual first mile of my entire life was when I was 33 years old. Yeah, is that I true? Playing, huh? Is that true? Really? 100%. 100%. I grew up playing golf, and I thought walking 18 holes of a golf course was great exercise and you know, made me an athlete, but it paid for my uh, college uh, education. Uh, four years, I was on full scholarships. So I never paid a dime, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then uh, after I got out, played a little bit of golf here and there. And then uh, when I was in my early 30s, got into it real heavy again. Uh, and that's when my whole world kind of came to a, a screeching st- stop. It was pretty crazy and unbelievable. Uh, when I was 30 years old, I got into drugs and alcohol, pretty heavy into cocaine and drinking. Uh, did it all on a golf course, uh, traveling around the country, playing in major tournaments, uh, uh, amateur tournaments. And, uh, and, uh, ended up getting busted and going to prison in 1986 for cocaine. And it was there on the yard of a prison in January the 16th of 1986. I ran my first two miles of my entire life. Um, I'd been in for about two weeks and decided that wasn't the life I wanted. And so I, uh, went out on the prison yard and didn't know what else to do. And I saw guys just running around the exterior of the yard and I, I joined them. And I asked one guy how far it was. He said it was uh, five and a half, five laps was two miles, two and a half laps per mile. And so I thought, well, I can do that. I'm an athlete, old jock, and uh, couldn't make a, a single lap without stopping and walking. But I, I uh, persevered and, and made the five laps and got the two miles in. And uh, it kind of started me off on a whole new direction of life. And you carry, so you, Pop, did you carry that right out of there and just, and just kept running? I did. I did. I, uh, like I say, when I was in incarcerated, it was, uh, I was, I had a five year sentence. I did 14 months on it and I knew that's not how I wanted to spend my life. And so physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, every way you can get broke, I was broke. Uh, I lost everything. I'd file bankruptcy because of the, you know, all the criminal charges and lawyer fees and stuff. Uh, physically I weighed 125 pounds. I was six foot tall, 125. Uh, Good Lord. I, I, I sleep in about 10 hours a week because I was so drugged up and, and drunk that I couldn't, I couldn't really exist, but I thought I was successful because I was a custom home builder driving a Porsche 911. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, playing golf every day, flying on Learjets with my buddies to, to golf tournaments. I thought, you know, how can I be in trouble if I'm flying on jets, playing golf, driving a Porsche, girlfriends, the whole thing. I had, I had the world by the tail. I thought, um, so the U S government said, uh, no, we got a case against you. So, uh, like I say, while I was incarcerated, I decided, you know, I got to do something to get my life back together, get my health, get mentally right, spiritually right. And, uh, and running was a big part of that. Running was a really big part of it. And, and then when I got out, it was such a big part of it that I continued on with it. Do, let, me, let me ask you this, Pop, just because we're, getting, we're getting, getting into the weeds a little bit like this. Because you hear about this. 
when I got into the running world too, and I, and I was hanging around some of you ultra guys that are just a different breed of individuals. A lot of them had an addictive personality. Yep. And so many of them had, had, had a drug problem or an alcohol problem beforehand. And then they, in order to, to fill that void, they said, I just started running and it just, and then they have to go to those extremes like you do to, yep. to, to scratch that itch. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, Mojo. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of guys that got into ultra running through drug addiction or, or trying to get off of drug addiction. And, uh, and some, some folks, it was other different kinds of things, but for the most part, it's very addictive, compulsive people. And you know, they're driven to do something. Uh, I don't want to compare myself to David Goggins at all, but you know, Goggins is of that same sort that, you know, whatever we do, we do it a hundred the majority of the guys that I know that are ultra runners, not all of them by far, but the, the, a good majority of them have had something, whether it was drugs and alcohol, but they had some other kind of compulsive addictive behavior that just drove them to do things above and beyond. And so for me, it was drugs and alcohol. For many others, it was. But like I say, we all have this compulsion to just take it to the next level, no matter what. And if 100% is good, then a 200% is even better. And, uh, you know, I got to know David Goggins uh, back in 2004 or five, back in San Diego. We became friends through ultra running uh, and competed not necessarily against each other, but in the same races a few times. But, you know, Goggins and I have laughed a lot of times. You know, I call him Goggy, but, uh, you know. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> you're the only uh, one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the only uh, one that does that. <laughs> I'm not afraid of him. I'm not afraid of him, but, uh, you know, we talked many times that, you know, we're just driven to just, uh, to do the next level of, of, of competition. Uh, and so I, I know going back to my drug and alcohol, whenever I was doing it, it wasn't enough to just do a gram or so a day. It was, uh, you know, let's do a quarter ounce, you know, and that then it sounds became, like you know, a lot. I don't, is that a lot? It's a lot. It's, it's, <laughs> that's, that's I don't a want lot. to sound like an idiot either. I was like, <laughs> That's a lot. Okay, uh, I, I, I never did cocaine because I know I'd love it. Like I, oh, I, yeah. I had a buddy of mine, uh, Garrett Golden, team guy, and and he 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 told he was he said that to me. He's like, I, we were talking about that, like because it's the same way with our with guy. We're just reversed. Like we came in on our side through the SEAL program, you know, and we're so extreme. It's just our there just there's guys that are just wired that way. Some of us never touch that stuff. And then when we go through our programs, we get out and whatever you get into, you're going to do it extreme. I don't care if it's drinking or anything. And on top of that, when you teach somebody yeah. to never quit, like when you literally beat them to death and then ask if they want to quit, and they, no matter what you do to them, you teach them to never quit. If you get them somewhere later in life and you're like, hey, you probably need to quit that. Like, I didn't even hear what you said. You know, because when, as soon as the, you never quit, tell me to, <laughs> exactly. as soon as quit comes in, you tell me to quit something that... I just look at you as something else because where I come from, we don't yep. quit and we don't start anything unless, unless somebody put us on it. Like we were supposed to do it. It was part of our regiment. Yep. That, that's kind of how it yep. works with us. That's why team guys are wired. So you got to be real funny with them or they're, they're, they're complicated. We're a complicated species. Like we don't quit nothing. You can't kill us <laughs> unless you put a bullet in us or we kill ourselves no. kind of deal. That's it's one of them deals. I mean, it's just right. so hardcore. And then as we, as guys progress through that, man, if you got, you have to literally shift into something uh, like the running with that. Like we got a team's like, I couldn't believe that y'all ran like that. I remember when we were in the teams, y'all were training for those triathletes, UJT, Mojo, Vance, all them, man. I'll just be like, dude, what? Like y'all don't get whipped. Y'all don't get y'all's ass whipped bad enough when we're at work. Cause I did. <laughs> I mean, and you guys are out running these extra races. And I, I was like, all right. And then we get out and then you bump it up from, you know, a marathon to a hundred miles. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. I get it. Did you know, did you know David Clark pop? I uh, kind of, sort of, not really. I mean, we've met and I know him, but I don't, I, we were never friends. We, we were never, we never ran out, you know, ran around together. Okay. Who did it? But I, cer David, but David, I certainly he, know his story. He was on the show in the house. I know. I, I've heard it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was an ultra, but his background, he was a businessman too, real successful business, got into drugs and alcohol. Oh, yep. David Clark. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you oh, William, William Pickett. William Pickett. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for, this is what I try to explain to people sometimes, Pop. Uh, yep. I, I want you to offer this up to the, to the listeners here because some people don't understand why – why you do the things that you do, because there's so much pain involved into it. 
No, no. Besides the, the, the just the time on the feet, time training, time spent doing the races, because of the, the the races I've done, it it is so painful to go that far. For you, is it having the pain on board and and loving it, or is it the sense of accomplishment when you come across the line? Which is more gratifying, or both? I guess. You know, I, I I thrive on the pain, and I've got a story I'll tell you here in a few minutes that'll kind of describe that. But part of it is is that you know you're going to have it. You know, I get tickled at folks when I'm when I'm coaching them about a marathon. They're like, "Well, I want to be so fit that I never have any issues during my marathon." I'm like, "Well, then you're mm-hmm. not, you're not ready to do it then, <laughs> because if you think you're going to run 26 miles or 50 miles or 100 miles and have no pain, you have no idea what you're doing." And so, you know, you've got to, you've got to know it's coming and be ready for it and just embrace it. You know, that's the best and, way I've uh, ever heard that said that needs to be on a poster somewhere. Cause literally people look at it and like, man, it just trains so hard. You just run through that. There's not, there's no pain involved. No, 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 no. Yeah. What, you, what you've actually done is if you, you, you can extend your time in pain. Well, so, exactly. so Goggins and Clark both said there's going to come a point in time where you can't be in any more pain. Correct. Or you die, right? You're just dead. Or something breaks. Right. So you once you meet that maximum pain threshold, and if you can still function, you're gonna you're, you're, you're good. Go, you're good. Because most everybody well, else it, won't put you in the they can't they can't deal with it or they won't put be able to put you into it. I mean, most of the time we put ourselves yeah. into it just to sure. run the, just to run the test. Yeah, I mean, well, and, getting, and, and you know, Marcus, that's that's what I do when I when I enter a hundred miler or a twenty four hour race. I, I, I put myself in that position. I didn't choose it. Right. I mean, I, I chose it. It didn't just happen to me. Uh, it's not like somebody who contracts cancer or some other disease. I chose to do this and accept that pain. And I know going in, it's going to be painful. And so, uh, you know, one of my other, I guess you'd call it never quit stories. And, and let me just say this real quick. I love the never quit team at aspect because that's been my motto for years before, you know, y'all ever came up with it. Uh, and then the, the Navy SEAL creed, part of the creed that says, you know, I'm never out of the fight. Oh, yeah. I love those two things. Never quit. And it it never says in the there fight. that your ass is going to get knocked down. I mean, exactly. beat, beat down to nothing. I yep. mean, we're walking examples of that. Yeah. And pain is a matter of perspective of the person going through it. It's, it's I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Well, so, so back in 2014, you know, we have our Jogging for Frogman race out in San Diego that we put together after, you know, extortion 17 had happened and we'd lost JT. And of course we lost 31 guys, but you know, for me, JT was the catalyst. Uh, and so, you know, we put together the jogging for Frogman 5k and, and I was going to do a 24 hour run the day before to kind of honor him and, and kind of kick the race off. So we did that in 2012 and 2013. So in 2014, we're, uh, I'm getting ready. We're doing it. I'm doing my run on, on Friday morning, starting at eight o'clock. They're at the Naval uh, Training Center there at Liberty Station, uh, you know, and we've got a 5K course, 3.1 miles, kind of fits in, right? 31 guys, 3.1 miles. So I'm going to run the 3.1 miles 31 times in honor of each one of those guys, each loop in honor of one guy. And so I start out at 8 o'clock, and I'm going to run until 8 o'clock the next morning, and then we're going to have the 5K at, at 9. And so I start off, and I'm halfway through the first loop. I'm literally – 10, 12, 13 minutes into a 24, basically 24 hour run, mile and, mile and a half into it. I trip on a crack in the sidewalk, fall down on my left kneecap and fracture it. Fracture my kneecap up 12 minutes into a 24 hour run. And I got up and I couldn't walk literally 10 feet without pain, much less run. Uh, but I, I, I slowly jogged back to my aid station where I'm going to change shirts and rehydrate and all that stuff. And I had a doctor friend that was going to run the next lap with me who tested it, did all the stuff with his fingers. And he says, well, Mike, I got to tell you, it's bad news. He said, you fractured your kneecap. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, no, I can feel the fracture with my fingers. He said, I've done this enough. And I said, well, gosh, I don't know what to do, but I said, I got to go. And he's like, well, no, you can't run on a fractured knee. And I said, Doc, you don't understand. That's my goal. That's that's the job I have. That's my mission. And so we we got out some black duct tape and wrapped it as tight as we could to keep it, my knee from bending as much as possible. And I took off. And of course, I had friends coming out all day through the night, 
running with me. And of course, he had to tell them the story every damn time because they, well, why is your knee wrapped? <laughs> why the hell you got your knee? <laughs> and I had to explain it to them. And they all kept saying, every single one of them said, dude, you need to quit. You need to stop. And the thing that drove me the most was I said to every single one of them, guys, 31 men gave everything they had for my country and for this freedom. I can't stop because I have a hurt knee. It ain't good enough. There you go. Yeah, but you know the other thing about it that we don't ever, this is the part we never talk about openly is like, because every time one of us comes up and like, hey, bro, man, you might want to like, nah, I'm going to keep going because if I make it through this and we're, next time we're at the at the house or at the bar, I'm be like, hey, all you freaking weakly ass pussy switches. <laughs> it's like, I, he freaking took it. That juice is worth the squeeze, right? I mean, you just kind of keep going. And, and that's what makes, uh, that's what separates us. It's like, man, yeah. I just can't get that dude to stop. I can't get him to stop. Yeah. I mean, that's just not in him. Right. I mean, because <laughs> what we talk about, is like, hey, you better not show back up with what you got issued. You understand that? Don't don't do that. You better come back in with some hardware like bro. Yep. all he got defibrillators sewed up in his, you know, and, and, I mean, just fucking slide into the gate sideways. Whichever one. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. How do you mentally manage the pain when you're yep. in that when, when you're in that situation? You know, I, 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 I just kind of look over it, to be honest, uh, Andrew. I, I don't know. I, I was never taught how to manage pain. You know, that there wasn't any class on it. It's, it's just a personal physical trait that I have. <clears throat> and I guess just, you know, the fact that I know I can't give up, that I can't quit, you know you've got to handle it some way. Uh, because if you quit, if you ever quit an ultra, and, uh, and I don't mean this is negative about anybody that has ever quit one, but if you ever quit one, the, the next time it's, it's easier to quit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, That's that way with everything though, right? Kind of. I mean, oh, oh. oh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everything. It's everything. Uh, and, and so, you know, if, if, if you get upset in business because you lost a, you know, a few thousand dollars and you say, well, I can't do this again. Cause I, you know, I lost money last time. Well, then you're never going to make money. You know, you got to just keep plugging at it and plugging at it and plugging yeah, at yes. it. Yes, that's a, it's a life thing. I tell yeah. you what, the other day, Melly dropped me. She she stopped me dead in my track. She says I procrastinate, and I was like, "What?" She's like, "Yeah, you procrastinate." You didn't know that a lot. <laughs> I was like, "No, I didn't." I was like, "There's some things that you bring to my attention that I don't think are necessary for me to do at this particular moment." So yeah, I might push them to the side, but ultimately, that's an excuse, right? So I kind of when you right. When you when you point that stuff out, you're like, I, it's a constant thing. You have to, I mean, you got to stay on yourself. It never stops. You don't get to the point where we do this so much where it just becomes easy. There are things you pick up, yeah, and they, they, absolutely. There, there's the rhythms and 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 how to play it and how to be proficient in it. But the overall concept has to stay the same. Otherwise, we wouldn't stay in it. That and that's what separates us from everybody else is the, the people who are willing to stay in the grind, those who won't. They're like, I'll do this for a little while, but then I got to get out of it. Well, then you're not, you, you know, that's great, whatever. But, you know, then there's those who are, this is just the way we are. And and we're the ones that stay in it for all of it. What was one of your, I, I got a couple of stories in my head, Pop, that, you, that you've shared with me over the years. But, but looking back, I mean, because you're 68. I mean, that's, that's your race class has to be like all of about f- like three people when you're competing, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, right. I hope to God I'm as athletic as you are at 68, which, you know. I don't even know if I'm gonna be alive that long, but can you share with us two things? I'd, I'd like to hear. You know, w- there's always one like this was like my, I was bottom of the barrel. This was the darkest time because I think a lot of a lot of our listeners are like, how do you mentally get through something like that? What do you? What did it take, or what did you see? What did you smell? What did somebody say to you? Like I have certain times where I was in a hole and somebody just said something to me, and I was like, okay, that helped. Can you got anything off the top of your head? I remember you telling me the ultra story when um, the missus was having to, <laughs> everything was torn open underneath your bicycle seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. And, and, and then your heel had yeah, separated was, from uh, your foot, right? Well, two different times. Uh, number one was uh, 1996. I was doing the Mohican Trail 100, and it had rained seven inches that week. And so and it's all on dirt trail, right? And so, you know, seven inches of rain over a week on dirt, you know, it's every, every step was on mud, you know, from, I mean, when the gun went off five o'clock on Saturday morning, this is right outside of Cleveland, the Cleveland National Forest. When the gun went off at 5 a.m., it was within 10 feet, my, we're soaking wet. 
and I got to run a hundred miles with wet feet. And so uh, I, but I persevered. I went through it. I went through it. I went through it. Finally, about mile 60, my left ankle, uh, left heel hurt so bad that I, it literally was like a branding iron on every step. Every time I, I landed, it was like somebody just punched me with a branding iron in my left ankle, uh, left heel. And so I got into the aid station about mile 60, 62. I don't remember exactly, but um, I said, you know, I got to have some relief. I don't know what's going on, but my left heel is on fire. And they said, well, we've got a podiatrist here. Let him take a look at it. So he, I went over to his I don't truck have to go and, to the bathroom. Did you know that? That's a joke. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I went over and I sat on his truck, the tailgate of his truck, and he pulls my shoes and socks off and he looks at the bottom of my foot and he says, oh my God. And I said, what? He said, have you seen the bottom of your foot? I said, no, I had my shoe off. He says, well, you don't have any skin left on the, your left heel. He said, you're completely down to bone and tendon. And I said, you got to be kidding me. So I took a look at it and they took a picture. I duct taped my forefoot uh, before I started to keep it from blistering, but I didn't think about my heel. And so we took a picture of it and I said, you know, so doc, what, what am I going to do? And he says, well, you, you do one of two things. You keep going or you stop. <laughs> I, Cause he said, there's nothing you can do about a heel. That's all you got I, doc. That's just all you two, got, just right? two different answers. Stop or go. Stop or go. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> So he said, you know, I, I can't pad it because there's nothing you can do. I mean, it, you, I mean, it's still going to hit something every time you land on your heel. And so he said, I, you know, you're just going to have to run in pain if you're going to keep going or stop. So I said, well, I, I got to finish. I got to go. So I ran the last 40 miles literally with the branding iron on my foot. I wish I, I wish you had a picture of it that you could put up, but it's the ugliest thing you've ever seen. We'll but find one. Literally, we'll you can see bone. That's going to be a poster. We're going to hang on a on wall the bottom in the of media my foot. room. Right. That's what I'm about there you yeah, go. Dang. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you. Yeah, because you did. But uh, the, and then uh, the ultra. And then the other one. The other one was in uh, 2005. I was doing the Ultraman World Championships, and uh, I'd done a lot of Ironman. So I'd done a lot of 100 miles, 120 mile rides. But this is a different kind of a thing. You do a a 10k swim and a 90 mile bike the day one. And this is a race I did with Goggins in 06, but. But this was the year before. So I, it's a, a 6.2 mile swim. And then you ride your bike 90 miles from sea level up to a, a volcano at 7,000 feet. So it's all up for 90 miles. And then you spend the night, you got a 12 hour cutoff. You spend the night. Next morning, you start at the volcano and you ride 171 miles around the rest, two thirds of the island of Kona. And then the third day, you run from Javi. 52.4 miles back to where you started. So you completely circled the big island, 330 miles. So day one, uh, again, I've done a lot of 100 miles, 120 mile rides, but I've never done 100 miles and then 170 back to back. So day one, I'll do this 6.2 I mean, miles. <laughs> I know, right? Really? Why not? I mean, what else is there to do in life? Right, it seems like it wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. So day one, I do this, I do this swim. Well, of course you're swimming for 6.2 miles in salt water. So your body gets pretty soft. And then you sit on a bike seat for 90 miles, about six or seven hours of riding. Well, my, my, excuse the, my French, but my taint <laughs> is so sore that you can't name. touch it with, you know, with the easiest touch without. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I won't say it, but you, I think you got the drift. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to I go to bed that night and I put some ice on it to kind of cure it a little bit. Next morning I get up, I get back on that damn bike, and I'm riding, and I'm getting a hundred miles in. So now I'm I'm 200, 190 miles in. I got 80 miles to go left, and this taint is so sore, <laughs> I literally can't sit on my bike seat. It's it's a it's a razor blade. It's a you know that I'm sitting on, and I still got 80 miles, about three four more hours of riding to do, and so I got in the back of my my uh, aid station vehicle and i got a bag bomb you know like you put on a cow's udders and i got a wash rag and i just damp jammed it down in there and got it soaked in this bag bomb and then stuffed it down my bike shorts in between my taint in that bike seat and my shorts for some some relief and some lubrication and i got back on the bike and it, it felt a lot better but you i could still feel it but i bike shorts because you're telling miles. us that something hurt <laughs> That was another just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're exactly. stuffing your bike shorts because you oh, I got it. Go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I finished the last 80 miles. I get my bike. I go up to my hotel room 
and uh, start to get, you know, disrobed so I can take a, a nice warm shower. And I, I take off these spandex bike shorts and I grab that wash rag that's, you know, down there and it won't come off. And I pull, and I pull, and I pull, and it wasn't going to come. So finally, I got Kimmy, I, I got... I got Kimmy to come in. I said, Hey, I got a, I got a favor. I said, you got to get this damn wash rag off of me. <laughs> so she starts pulling. She says, Mike, it's not coming. I said, just jerk it. Like you would a bandaid. What's up? Get and off. she did. And there was, <laughs> there was a piece of skin, the size of a baseball on that wash rag. God. Right off of there. There's people turning off the show right and, now. Turn back on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you ever you know, hear them stories? I got to take a break. <laughs> I feel that right now. And, oh, man. Right? And it hurt like a son of a gun. And the worst part was that I got to get up the next morning in 12 hours and run 52.4 <laughs> miles in 95 degree heat with nothing but sweat running down there. And I'm thinking, oh, my Lord. But I did it. I, I ran the 52.4 miles and won the age group world championship. God. <laughs> He, I, uh, I just don't know how to wrap my brain around how somebody can like just push through that, dude. Could you imagine yanking that area off and going, "All right, I'm gonna just run 50 more no, miles, 50 miles more." Give me a second. No, 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 no. No thanks. Yeah, absolutely not. I'm not even gonna let you do it. The wash rack yeah. still would have been yeah. there. I'm not even gonna let you do it because you know what? You, <laughs> just for mankind. <laughs> well, the the. One one oh, other little man. funny side to it, you know, the only way I could the only way I could do it was to take the liner out of the bottom of those running shorts because it was just it was it rubbed, you know, it was just every step it would rub. So I had to cut the liner. No, no, out. we get it. Yeah, we get it. So I ran fifty two <laughs> miles with no liner in a pair of shorts, dude. Gosh. Not a pretty sight, dude. Man, I'd have been but, like, I'm so, about to, I'm about, man, I I can't make it. All right, I got to pivot from this for a second. Why don't you tell us? About your nonprofit, the, how about the first one? You have two nonprofits, is that right? I've, I've been involved with two nonprofits. Uh, one of them, when I first got out of prison, I, I just felt like there was this need to give back to society. Uh, you know, I, I was I was one of the fortunate guys that has a criminal record. Uh, one of the very few fortunate guys because I had a college degree, I had a loving family, I've been in church all my life. I understood, you know, Christianity, and I, I was a Christian and had a true, deep belief in God. Um, I'd owned my own construction company with my dad. So I was a successful businessman. I had all the positives, uh, you know, that you, that a person can have in life. And yet I had a criminal record. And so when I got out, uh, I still, for those first few months, I had this stigma hanging around my head that, you know, okay, you're a good guy. You did, you made a mistake, but you paid the price, but you've got all these positive, you know, good things in your, in your behalf. What about that guy who's got an eighth, ninth, 10th grade education? <clears throat> whose only job they've ever had was selling drugs or stealing. That's how they provided for themselves or their family. Their family's fed up with them because, uh, you know, they, they've hurt them. They've abused them. They've probably stolen from them. They've embarrassed them. Everything you can do. Uh, so the family's got a very tough time trusting you. Uh, and you're, you're, uh, you're scared to death to go to a church because that's for perfect people, right? I mean, only perfect people are to church. Mm-hmm. And so, that's kind of the mindset of the guy coming out of prison is, you know, I've got no hope because I got no, no, no past. that's any good. Everything I've done is a mistake has been a mistake and I got no support system. So how do they make it? And so I felt this real need to, to, to start something. So I put together a program called Exodus, uh, which is, uh, like out of the Bible, obviously. Uh, and you know, if we know the, the story of the children of Israel, when they were released from from captivity from the Pharaoh, even though they now had freedom, they still didn't know what to do with it. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, trying to find out how to, how to live life. And so I said, you know, that's perfect for these guys because they're coming out of captivity of the prison system and they're experiencing freedom, but they don't know how to deal with it and they don't have the tools to deal with it. And so I put together a housing program where we would house ex-convicts, give them life skills, get them counseling, teach them how to get a job, how to fill out a resume, how to do an interview, how to be honest and upfront, tell the truth, not, not lie about it because you're going to be found out. And we developed this program of, of ex-convicts and their families and, and re, re, uh, stating them back into society. And that was in 1987. 
And I'm very, very proud to say that it's 2020. And 33 years later, that program is still going, still in the same location as it was there in East Dallas, where I, we, we purchased that apartment complex. Um, and the recidivism rate in the state of Texas is 77%. And what that means is that 77 out of 100 guys are going to go back to prison within one year of, of release from prison. 77 out of 100 are going to go back because they, they failed on parole, recommitted another crime, whatever they did, but they're going to go back. In the 33 years that Exodus has been in, in uh, existence now, just over 1% of those people have gone back to prison. Oh, wow. That's so that's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good success story uh, yeah. in my book. Pretty good. So good. the 77 out of 100, that has to do with, it's kind of like when we, guys get, when we get out of the military, you just don't know what to do. And you kind of exactly. compartmentalized. I remember graduating yeah. from boot camp and they let us out for a couple of days and I was in a hurry to get back. I was like, just let me get back in the building, you know, where it's safe. And I, I don't know why that hit me like that. I, I, uh, and I wasn't even in there that long, but it, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just a little bit of that. Can, and if guys are in there for a long, long time, I'm sure that, well, you know, you know, whole thing. you know, as we talked earlier about the, you know, the guys that have had the addiction problems and they get into the ultra running, this is kind of this, a similar thing in that, you know, you go to what's comfortable. And so, you know, a pro athlete has a hard time when they retire. You know, you military guys, uh, police officers, first responders, any no, profession. everybody, right? You know, anybody who throws huh? in, anybody who throws it in there for everything else but themselves probably has a yeah. hell of a time getting. Yeah, because that's that's what you know. It's, it's comfortable, and so these guys get released, and it's like, okay, now what do I do? You know, I mean, you take a, a football player who's thirty-five years old and he's played football since he was twelve. Well, he doesn't know what to do with life. You know, mm. he's lost. He's totally lost. And that's the reason so many of them are failures, you know, after they get out or, or retire. And so th these guys are the same way. And so they needed some help. And so it's just hard to imagine you can consider yourself a failure after you played in the pro sports. And well, guys, I agree. And guys still do it, right? It's like once you come out of somewhere and you go to do something else, like you're a failure. I'm like, no, you're not. Man, you're just starting over. I mean, from the bottom. Yeah. You know, you kind of paid your dues. Now let's get it on. It's tough. Exactly. Man. It's tough. Uh, and then the second nonprofit I did kind of was a spinoff of that. Uh, 1991, if you remember, you know, we had the first Persian Gulf War where Saddam had invaded Kuwait and U.S. forces had gone in and, and drove him out and, and annihilated his army, you know, up and down the highway to hell. And, uh, you know, his way to, to show his people in Iraq that he was still strong was to go up into the mountains of northern Iraq and to annihilate the Kurds and to run them out of their villages into the mountains. And uh, I had a Kurdish friend here in Dallas who was, uh, had come over in, in 1978 during the Iran-Iran-Iran-Iraq uh, war. He had fled the country and had come over to the U.S. And I'd met him in Dallas and we'd become friends. And so when, when all that happened, uh, I ran into him. I said, hey, Mafa, uh, his name was Mafa Barzani. And uh, his uncle was um, Masoud Barzani, who was the head of the KDP uh, there in, in, in Kurdistan. And so I said, Mafa, you know, your people are being annihilated over there. You know, what in the world are we going to do? And he says, Mike, it's, it's horrible. And he said, I've got something I don't know what to do with. And I said, what? He says, well, there's 2,000 of the Kurds that were taken out of a prison camp uh, there in northern Iraq and brought to the U.S. Uh, 10,000 total, but 2,000 were brought to Dallas. And I've been kind of given the responsibility of helping them integrate into our society. And I don't know, I don't know how to do it. Uh, and make a real long story short, uh, I put together uh, another nonprofit called the Kurdish Relief Association. Um, and uh, it was, you know, again, there was 2000 Kurds that were in an apartment complex in North Dallas. And these are sheep herders and apple growers. That's that's what their lives were. Well, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to raise sheep and, and grow apples in North Dallas. Yeah, so it's not really set up for it. And so they literally had the clothes that were on their back. They spoke nothing but Kurdish. Uh, most of them had never been out of the country. Uh, I say most of them, none of them had ever been out of the country. And they literally had the clothes on their back. So they're sleeping on the floor. Uh, they've got food stamps and a free place to stay, but they've got no, no hope and no future here, except that they're safe. And so I set up Curtis Relief Association and kind of did the same thing with them that I was doing with the ex-convicts. Uh, I got teachers from the Dallas Independent School District to come in and teach them English and help them get jobs. I, I went to the Junior League of Dallas and furnished all 53 apartments with furniture within two days. Damn, how uh, nice. Yeah, 
It was oh, junior league. They'll oh, come through. Oh, junior league. <laughs> they don't mess around. That's right. Hey, hey, they don't mess That's around. Right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they don't. They don't mess around. And uh, so, uh, shortly after that, they came to me and said, uh, "Mr. Mike, we need uh, we need some help for our families back in Kurdistan. Can you help us?" I said, "What are you talking about? Can you help us build a school? We want to do a school in Dehuk, Iraq, which was in the no-fly zone." So in 1992, I started a school in Dehuk, Iraq, working with Kurds, uh, Kurdish young people, 18 to 25 years old. And I got, again, I got books from the Dallas Independent School District, uh, world history, U.S. history, government, English, all kinds of different books that were uh, out of date, but for them, they were fine. And got Bibles and took them over there and got them started uh, with the school and at the University of Dehuk. We met there in that, that university. Man, that's cool. Um, nice and then job. In, in the second, my, my, my third trip over, I was taking some computers and got stopped at the border by the Turkish army and got put into a Turkish prison camp. Of course you did. Days. Good time, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. Hey. Loved it. Hey, man. Loved it. Hey. <laughs> Damn. Now, you never Nothing told me like that. Nothing like those Turks. You hey, never uh, told me hey, that. Hey, man, you were out there longer than I was, dude. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, that was, that was fun. And I called the U S embassy in Ankara, Turkey, and they got me out, but they were not happy with me because I'd been trying to sneak into, you know, a no fly zone. It's only no fly zone for right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. So it's, it's been quite a life to say the least. It's but been you know what? epic, man. You've had an epic life. Are you kidding me? Can you look back on one second of it now? Cause when you tell that story, like when people just, well, I didn't know that. So, like, we're just sitting at dinner one time. What's the coolest, craziest thing ever happened to you? I don't know. <laughs> I had a flat tire on the, on like the 405 where I was locked up in a Turkish prison camp for 10 days. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> That's not something like a damn movie. Are you kidding me? Oh, of all the runs, this you- freaking <laughs> crew, dude. I can't believe this crew. Uh, I, out of all the guys on the planet that had to meet up and do, I, the guys in our crew are exceptional. I think the reason we got hit so hard when JT died because that was the first time someone got hit. We weren't expecting that because it was Mojo's roommate. Yeah. And you know, a big deal. Okay, man, you've had a good one, bro. Turkish prison. No shit. Go ahead and call you Turkish. That is a serious Turkish. check in the box. <laughs> that is an awesome check in the box. Yeah, do you, of all the runs you've done, because you've done a ton, do one of them stand out to you as like your your biggest accomplishment? Like the Turkish prison camp run? Oh, like, there's no question. Turkish 31 prison. for 31 for 31. <laughs> we need to do a run called the Turkish prison camp. Turkish prison run. <laughs> yeah. No, the, 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 the one I just did in May was uh, uh, the 31, 31 miles a day for 31 days for 31 heroes was by far just because it took, you know, day in, day out, you know, knowing that, you know, I mean, it's one thing if you're going to do a 24 hour run or a hundred mile race, you know, you, there's a limit to it. You know, you can, you can see the, the end zone is pretty, pretty soon, but 31 miles a day for 31 days is a lot, a lot of running. And, you know, I was kind of nervous going into it. I, I, I knew I was going to finish. I knew it. I wasn't going to quit, but I also knew that my body was going to be hurting and aching by the end of it. And, uh, but you know, again, it, it hurting for a little while means nothing to me when it comes to honoring guys that have given the life, the ultimate sacrifice. There's nothing comparative. Um, And so, but, but I I set that mission and one of the beauties of it for me was I got to know all 31 families Uh, during that time. I reached out to every single one of them and said, you know, Hey, I'm running tomorrow for your son or your husband or your brother. And, you know, I just wanted you to know that, uh, He's going to be riding on my shoulder tomorrow, and I'm going to be listening to every word he says to me when I, when I think I'm hurting a little bit. And he says, you know, let's, let's go. We just got 20 miles left. We just got five miles left. And so it, it was uh, it was a very emotional thing for me as well, because every single day I got to learn about those 31 guys and the sacrifice, not only of them, but their surviving families, because, you know, they're still hurting. <laughs> it, it's 2020, and they're still hurting nine years later. And so it, it was truly a blessing, but at the same time, it was, it was a great to honor that. And, uh, I, I'm just glad to be been a part of it. And I, I and cussed out JT every day. I bet oh. you did, especially his left. I mean, it needs to be said as well. It's not 
everybody needs to understand you didn't go out and take all day to do this. You you were holding at a, an amazing pace for these runs. Yeah, I did. And I thought that was excellent. He would send me his his track every day that we would run, and his his path that he ran was the number thirty one. He he mapped it out <laughs> where it, it was thirty one. That's so cool. Cool as that. Yeah, that's lame. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. That's almost lame again. That's cool, man. Nice work. Yeah, it, a friend of mine from Hawaii actually uh, sent me a, a message like the second day and said, hey, you know, you're doing these 10-mile loops, 10.5-mile loops, whatever you're doing. She said, why don't you do it and, and map out 31? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she says, you know, you've seen where people do this different stuff, you know? And so I went and looked at it and I thought, you know what, I got a perfect, I got a perfect route for that. And so I did. And it was, it was absolutely cool. Yeah, it was. It oh, was yeah. really cool. So every day when I'd post it on Strava, uh, you know, it would show my, my course and you could see 31 written in it. You, so, you uh, broke some records doing that, didn't you? Well, you know, kind of, sort of, I mean, for my age group, especially, you know, doing, doing an ultra every day for 31 straight days. Anything over a marathon is considered an ultra. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was that was pretty cool. Um, is that a Guinness record for for your age group? I, you know, I haven't. I'd never looked into that to be honest. Andrew, I'll look it up. Yeah, I was. I was more right, interested. Wh- what's it say? What's that? <laughs> he's making me Google stuff. He said he's gonna I'll look hold, it up. Hold tight. You're supposed to be able to type real fast. Like, I, wanna, <laughs> I mean, I mean you don't have a Guinness. Screen. You don't have a Guinness record yet, do you, Pop? No, not that I know of. We're about to get you ugliest, one. Uh, ugliest man alive, maybe, but. We're about to get no. you one. No, that ain't it. You good looking. <laughs> we got some dudes in our crew. And, and, that are <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, we got some dudes. Freaking Opie. Uh, <laughs> 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 I hope to God he listens to this. Oh, I hope Opie's listening. He o- is, dude. He texts me this morning. He's like, love you, brother. Hope your day is great. Dude, o- he, he, Opie he, called me one day. He's like, hey, man, you think Papa hooked me up with some with some shoes? Uh, for everybody out there, <laughs> Pop, Pop, Pop was a, <laughs> he worked for uh, Mizuno. And then, uh, where'd you go after Mizuno? Yep. Uh, I went to Zoot and then K-Swiss uh, K and then on. Okay. Anyway, I was like, I was like, hey, Pop, I need you to open my open one. I'm curious if you hook him up with some shoes. And by the way, I need either the ugliest ones you got or I need them pink. <laughs> he mailed his ass a pink pair of shoes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, he rocked them. Hey. That old country ass. That he boy is the most hardcore there. friend we got. I mean, that he ginger, is ride or die. That man. Ginger, oh, ginger yeah, hair and that pink bro. shoes, man, is cute. But. Ginger. I was a couple of months he's after a piece Pop. Of work, that's oh, for he's sure. so great. I told oh, him I, I hooked him up after a couple of months, Pop. I was like, hey, man, I, he was asking what kind of shoes you wanted. And I told him you said pink. <laughs> he said, don't let the color fool you. These things are top notch. Top notch. That's how you know they're your shoes. Yep. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's, that's right. Nobody else has got that. No, no, no. Uh, that time, man, we were in college, dude. We rolled over to his house. He had that uh, that horse trough filled up with that trolling motor in it. It was a hot tub. And the. And the in the, in the garage and in the in the house they had a uh, fish aquarium with bass from the lake and we'd sit in there and fish in it at night after we get... <laughs> oh my god mike we're going to share a listener story with you that one of our listeners wrote in as his okay. never quit story and then typically we just have you guys kind of just respond you know to what he went okay. through so this is a story from logan embracing the suck of getting stabbed I've just recently started listening to your podcast, and you guys wow. are telling some amazing stories. As a Navy veteran and while on deployment, we had SEALs on our ship, so you guys are the silent heroes. Listening to your podcast and hearing yours and other stories, I was inspired to tell my own never-quit story. It's kind of a long one, so I'll give a quick background. I was working in New York City and taking the train to work every day. It was a normal routine until August 8, 2017. I had just taken the train from the city and was walking to my car at the time this happened. The night was warm and muggy and was super clear night. Once I got into the neighborhood, I felt a sense like something was about to happen. In the corner of my eye, I saw a shadow. The time was about 10 p.m. Once I saw that shadow, it was too late. He ran up to me, grabbed me from behind, and said, Give me everything you got. My first reaction since I have studied Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was to take him down. He was unarmed at the moment. Well, as soon as I went to go to take him down, he pulled a knife on me. 
I felt an immense pressure to my chest, then again and again. Blood started to gush out. The feeling of a knife going through my body at first wasn't pain, more like being punched. I can't even describe it. The sound and feel of it is something I will never forget. I instantly fell to the ground, blood gushing out from every stab wound. My first reaction was to scream and cover my wounds as much as possible to hold off from bleeding out. A couple coming home saw me and reacted quickly. One of them got out and took off a shirt and covered me, and the other one called 911. I remember lying on the ground asking myself, is this real? Is this really happening to me? And I just remember staring up at all the stars, not being able to breathe, and and I wasn't thinking, this is not how I'm going to die. It was more of a feeling of disbelief. I could feel air, blood coming out of my right lung through the stab wounds. I could feel the warm blood seeping through my fingers and running down my body as I was holding my wounds. The smell of blood overtook everything. It was the only thing I could smell. It felt like the police took about five minutes to get there, but I'm sure it wasn't that fast. They asked my name, which I could barely even mouth out since I was in so much pain. You're going to be okay, Logan. I remember holding more like squeezing a street signpost because the pain was so unbearable. The fire department came and the EMTs arrived. They were trying to stabilize me as soon as possible while keeping me awake. Once I got into the ambulance, the EMTs were asking me who I was, where I was from, who they could call. Well, my wallet was stolen, but I still had my phone. With one hand, I grabbed it from my back left pocket, unlocked it, went to the contacts to show them my name. Then I scrolled through my contacts, found my dad, and dialed his number and gave it to the EMT. We have Logan here, and he's been stabbed three times. We're taking him to Jacoby Medical Center. He's stabilized, and we're headed to the hospital now. Do you want to talk to him? As soon as she put the phone to my mouth, the only thing I could muster was a horrible pain-ridden grunt. Once we got going, it seemed like we were going off-roading, and every time we hit a bump, I would scream. I would black in and out, but was most likely, but I was mostly awake the whole time. Each time I would black out, they would call my name and tell me to stay awake. Awake. They kept, they kept asking me simple questions. As soon as we got to the hospital, I remember them getting out of the ambulance and into the ER. It was like a movie scene when someone is in the hospital and it's shot of the camera staring up at the ceiling with the lights passing you by. I remember getting into the emergency room and it was so loud. I couldn't understand what they were saying. I could finally understand one of the doctors. She grabbed my hand and said, Logan, you're going to be okay. Stay awake. Stay with me. And at that point, at least 20 doctors and nurses swore me. I finally blacked out. I woke up two days later, not breathing on my own, and looked up and hooked up to a ventilator. When you wake up in the hospital not knowing what's going on, having no idea where you are, it's a scary and horrible feeling. For the first few days, I wasn't breathing on my own, and I had no idea where I was and was extremely confused. All I heard were the beeps from the machines and the ventilator and muffled chatter in the room. I finally opened my eyes and could just see blurs of people around me. I had lost three liters of blood, punctured my right kidney, my right lung, and liver. I had spent over a month in the hospital. I went through over five surgeries, over four CAT scans, 40 staples, and too many tubes to count. I never thought myself, this is the end. I kept pushing to live and never gave up. You guys are inspiring. Thanks for sharing that story, Logan. That's pretty intense. Was that a question? No way. That's pretty intense. (laughs) That was intense. That was more than intense. Yeah, you can tell. You never forget that sound when it happens. Which one? When you get stabbed. What that puncture feels like, and that pain coming from all those those holes in you, and because you can tell wow. somebody when they, somebody knows how to fight with a knife, they're trying to fight you, then you'll get cut. And when anybody tries to stab you, if they know what they're doing, they'll stab you one time, you're dead. And then that when you're standing there sweating and everything, you kind of have time to calm down when all that stuff turns to acid and you, your body kind of lights up. There's no better feeling in the world, man, when you look up <laughs> and you got those blue and white ninjas looking over the top of you trying to save your life, pulling you into a hospital, man. So, dude, what I, you got on that pop? Well, you know, I, I can't relate to the the physical part of that at all because I've, I've you know I've never been stabbed or shot or you know any any of that kind of physical pain. The only thing I can relate to it at all is is laying in that bunk in that damn prison, looking up at that ceiling, thinking, you know, is, is this my life? In a ten by ten cell, you know, uh, and, and no freedom except for an hour a day to go out on a yard and run. That's that's my life. <clears throat> And I knew, but I, I, but I knew mine had a time limit, which makes a lot of difference. You know, mine was limited. It wasn't, it wasn't the physical pain that this young man felt. I, admit, I don't think I've been that close. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm pretty close to that kind of death, but. Sure. That's a good point. I remember waking up on, in, in that, in that hole. I haven't been in a position where, no, that's not true too. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about in a helicopter crash, woke well, up. Well, no, I was like, I have no. What the hell are you even talking about? I got a list of them downstairs. <laughs> you almost died. Wow. Well, that's a hell of a story. I, I'm, 
Hold on to it and embrace it, man. That just made you stronger. Yeah, you walked out yep. looking on the other side. That's, yeah, that's what that does. It. Yeah, if you take that, I mean, good job. And sometimes you get to the point where yep. you, that's all you can do is just take it. You're just laying there taking it. Exactly. And, and that's a thing. Yep. That's actually a thing. That's how you know you're, you, you ought to get a smile on your face afterwards because if you live through it, the only way to go is back up. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. If I, if exactly. my, my, my advice to him is do not consider yourself a victim. Yeah. Do not pull the victim card out of your pocket. Put it behind you. Hey, this is something that happened to me. It just happened to me. Unfortunately, it did. Yeah. But if if you live the rest of your life going this, this this is something I went through and it's going to drag. Don't let it drag you down. Just keep going. Because most of us, I mean, I say most of us. I was like a lot of guys. When you hear if you watch a movie and you watch the stories and you hear about the guys who have to go through stuff like that, they're the ones you look up to. So when if you get, if you're the guy that gets caught in that situation and you actually get through it. I mean that just walk that line. That's that's the yep. gift. Going through it was the hard part. Opening it up, you know, and then but yeah, the after side. I is, mean that's amazing. It's that amazing, right? That. Just amazing. I don't look at it. As I mean, we're sitting here listening to that story. We've been through hell and back a, a few would, times. Yeah, I wouldn't think that's a bad. I mean, I, I'm that's kind of inspiring. Like, hey man, hell yeah, gutted that shit out, bro. Yeah, it's solid. I wonder if they I wonder if they found that dude. Yeah, that's a good question. Let's go get the follow up. Let's like, go if get not, <laughs> then you get to spend the rest of your day. <laughs> There's two kinds of people: those that take that kind of a, a situation, you know, like his situation, like what you, you know, Marcus, you and Morgan have been through. What I went through with prison. Some people will take that situation and, and make it a negative in their life. And for the rest of their life, they never come out of it. They, they continue to have everything as negative. That's a great point. And, and then there's other people that say, you know what? I'm going to take that and make the most out of it. And I'm going to be better than that. I'm, I'm going to use this to my, my, uh, my Advanced. advancement yeah. and, the, and the advancement of other people. Yeah, the and negative is what as, got as, you in there. Exactly. The negative is what got me in there, and the positive is what was going to take me forward. You hold on to that negative as you as, as you come back out of it. Your ass can go right back in it. Exactly. And that's the reason why I started Exodus, because I didn't want those guys to have that attitude. I wanted them to have, hey, where do I go forward from here? Yep. Not, yeah, not yeah. backward. No, we don't do that. Well, Pop, man, I love you, bro. That, that was awesome, sir. Thank you so much. Respect. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, Anytime. Thanks, so thanks for sharing the Turkish. I'm anxious to get Turkish, down there and see that place. The Turkish prison. Oh, that's a whole other episode. I was literally like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. Wait a minute. That'd be terrifying. You don't speak the language? Oh, I couldn't speak a word. Hey, you learn language real fast and your ass pins on it, right? Am I right? How fast do you pick up some of those words? I, like, I remember picking up a Pashtu real quick when I, I was kind of like, what does that word mean? What does this mean? Chawanebashi. See? I bet you still remember it too. <laughs> oh yeah, Chawani Bashi. Hello, hello, how are you? That's all I know. That's not what that means. <laughs> you look good. Where, hey, where can people follow you on social media? On Twitter, I'm uh, Running Rousey, R U N N I N G R O U S E Y. On Instagram, I'm Mike Rouse's Run Texas because I do run the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Where? And then on uh, Facebook, I'm just Mike Rouse. Perfect. And then I wrote my I wrote I wrote my uh, autobiography about uh, seven years ago. Zero to sixty at the speed of life. Where can people get that at? Dude, that is a Amazon freaking title. Is that that's a good one? That is a good one. Yeah, I, well, I, woke, I woke up when I was sixty years old and realized that life had just sped by it. You know, four point five seconds. And so I wrote my autobiography, and uh, I think you guys might be in that thing. Damn right. Now I got to pick up a copy. Hey, make sure you I guys didn't, I didn't tell me you permission. Had a book. But hey, I so about like that, like you needed that. I'm going to wrap it up real quick, then y'all, we can keep chatting. So make sure you guys follow Mike on social media. Check out his book, his autobiography. It's available on Amazon. You can check us out, teamneverquit.com slash social, so you can follow the Team Never Quit team, Marcus Morgan and myself. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can get it. And just so you guys know, we got some new podcast t-shirts. Never Quit Flags are back in stock after a very long time. You guys have been asking for it. And uh, hey, Mike, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always good to, to talk to the boys. Yeah. I love you, Pop. See you guys later.